0: Pride Institute is an LGBTQ-specific treatment center for substance use disorder and addiction.
1: Pride was first opened in 1986 as a direct response to the HIV-AIDS pandemic.
0: We provide care to adults 18 plus in residential and outpatient settings. I'm Luke. And I'm Kaylee.
1: And together, we are the co-hosts of the Proud Voices podcast for Pride Institute.
2: So I have a knee condition that is called patellar femoral. What that means is that the fat pads in my knees are depleting. And in 2015, I went to the movies with my partner at the time. And when I went to stand up at the end, I couldn't put any weight on my right knee. Um, And so it's kind of that classic story of searching for what was wrong. It took me three different orthopedic surgeons to finally figure out what was going on. But in the meantime, my primary um, doctor put me on Percocet. And I already had a prescription for Vicodin for migraines. And so it just cascaded into this thing of, okay, I'm really hurting, I'm gonna take two, no three, no four. And then uh, soon enough, I was buying them on the street. Um, I was using, I think by the time I got to Pride's doors in 2017, between 30 to 50 pills a day. And that was no longer sustaining. My anxiety was out of control. My depression was out of control. Um, getting up and even, you know, brushing my teeth, taking a shower became difficult. And I remember my mom came to visit in June and we went to see my therapist together. And she looked me point blank in the eyes and said, I think my daughter has a problem with pills. And it was about a month later, I was laying in my bed knowing that the next day I was to go into pride and contemplating heroin because I didn't know that I had the strength to give up what I was doing. You know, the idea of never again was very difficult for me to, um, to absorb, but I pushed myself and I walked through Pride's doors. Um, and that was the day my life changed. Um, I walked in, they told me I was the saddest girl they'd ever seen walk through their doors. I cried for three days. Um, I was really, really scared and just didn't know my left foot from my right foot. And thanks to the team at pride, um, who were so supportive and so welcoming and so kind Um, I was able to get sober and I've had continuous sobriety for five years now. It's been pretty incredible. Um, It's very, very wild to look back and remember those days of thinking that it would never end and that I would never get back to a place where I felt solid again. And now I do. It's Mm. pretty amazing.
1: Yeah. Thank you for sharing all of that. Um, I recently just watched the TV series Dope Sick, which I don't know if you've watched, heard about, but it is deeply upsetting, um, seeing as though many people's addictions is contrived from trying to go to the doctor to feel better, and then in fact, they leave much worse. Um, So I know there's a lot of different people out there who have a lot of different experiences. And ultimately, I know a lot of people in addiction, they have to like own their own story, they have to own their own flaws. But in this case, and in many people's cases, there is that obvious of like, "Mm, was this necessary? Um, Do you feel any kind of anger, resentment? What do you feel about your experience being given, handed these drugs from like pharmaceutical companies?
2: You know, it's interesting that you bring up dope sick, um, dope sick. And then also dreamland, which is a book, um, that was written about the opiate epidemic are two things that I have tried to read and, and you know, consume for my, and, um, memory or for, for, my own experience. And I find myself constantly having to put them down. Um, dope sick. There was a scene where the pharmaceutical company said just double the dose. And then they said our brand new 80 milligram pill. And I burst into tears. And I had to stop, um, when it comes to resentment, you know, in the beginning of my recovery, I I had a lot of resentments. I resented, you know, my father for some of the trauma that I had been through as a child, watching my parents get divorced. Um, I resented the doctors, you know, for not knowing better. And that it took three different ones to figure out what was wrong with me. And, um, but the most, the, the strongest resentment I grew honestly was to myself. I was the one that chose to start taking more pills. I was the one who chose to listen to my doctors because I was raised by doctors. I believe in them. I don't hold my doctor accountable for this. She was just trying to do what what she thought was right. Um, So ultimately I place the blame on myself knowing full well that this is a disease and that I couldn't control it, but that I have some control now. Um, But the, the Dope Sick and Dreamland are two things that I very much want to watch and read, but I just, oh, it's just tough it's tough to read it. And especially when you think about, you know, all the fentanyl that's out there now. And, you know, if I were to choose to relapse, I, I, I could die and I should be dead, you know? Um, and so it's a very conscious effort to educate yourself, but to also stay in touch with what feels right inside of yourself.
1: Has visits to the doctor since been different for you or do you feel pretty at peace with that?
2: I still have tons of trust for my doctors. I believe in them. I know that they know the right course of action for me. Um, you know, so I, I I don't have an issue going to see the doctor. I suppose the issue would arise if something happened, like if I broke my leg, how are we going to treat the pain? You know, is it going to be suboxone? Is it going to be, you know, an opiate that, you know, I, I, there are steps that I have to take, you know, that to plan, in case something like that happens. And if it does, I need someone in my home with me. They need to watch the meds, you know, and you can be five years, 10 years, 20 years in recovery, and it can be just that one quick moment. Um, And so I want to take steps to protect that. And we work a lot in therapy too, you know, to protect yourself therapy. I, I, if there's one thing I can encourage people to do is therapy, you know, talk it out. Um, I was so scared that no one would believe me and that no one would care about my story. And I remember walking through pride's doors and someone saying, I believe in you. And that was really what I needed. Um, so many addicts out there struggling and suffer, and they they, they need to realize that there is love in the struggle, that they do have people that care, um, and people that want to see them succeed.
0: That's amazing. Um, I know a lot of times people that um, you know are addicted to opioids. Uh, it's a really hard habit to kick. Um, a lot of times we see them multiple times come through our doors. It's not just a one and done. Was that your experience, or were you able to um you know, go through pride once and then you were fine?
2: Yeah, interestingly enough, um the, the initial treatment was what I needed. Um, I'm blessed to have an uncle who is uh, very active in, in recovery with Alcoholics Anonymous. He was very, um, very big into my recovery. Um, but I did go back to pride. I went back to pride to help with a Suboxone taper. Um, Suboxone is a partial opiate, you know, so it does have those same sort of things that stick to your receptors. And I knew that I, after three and a half years, I wanted to come off of that and, you know, be able to regulate myself. And so I knew the best place for me to be was pride and they managed the taper beautifully. They took me from 24 milligrams to six milligrams in six weeks. And after that, I was able to come off of the low dose myself. And so pride really has always been a place that I know that is home. You know, if I'm really, really struggling, if I just can't see in front of me, I know that pride is there. Um, and I think it's such a phenomenal facility. You know, when I first discovered pride, people were telling me it had the reputation of being the Hazelden for LGBTQ members. And it, and it truthfully is, but it's not Hazelden it's pride. It's its own unique brand of health and healing. And it was instrumental in getting me better, that community, you know, pushing me through
1: talk about those first 3 days cuz day 1 is so hard when you're in treatment um it is not uncommon for somebody to get there and go i'm going home um what were some skills that you had to develop in those in those early moments of of treatment
2: i think the biggest skill was distress tolerance um understanding that i was in a really uncomfortable place but that it was meant to help and and i i wanted to leave I had phone calls to my mother. I had phone calls to my partner at the time. Just, you know, this isn't right. I can do this on my own. Um, I think, to be honest, it was some really frank conversations with my mother that kind of pulled me through. She and I are very, very close. Um, and and it also fostered some conversations between she and I, because my mom has struggled with alcoholism most of her life. And, <clears throat> you know, recognizing that now here her daughter is repeating the same patterns, I think was an opening for she and I to become closer and to understand each other better. Um, uh, but the first three days are are very, very tough because if you've never been to treatment, you're questioning the processes, what's going on, why do I need to be in this place or not? Um, you're coming out of, you know, you're coming out of use. I used 20 pills the day before I came in. So I was exhausted. I was, you know, wanting to just sleep and they're very big on wanting to get you engaged and into the programming. But I think, you know, ultimately that helps by the third day, you know, and that's what the nurses were telling me, give it three days, give it three days. And by the third day I felt safe and I felt comfortable, you know, and you get over the things like, Oh, like this isn't my shower. This isn't my bed. Like, but you find your ways to be comfortable and you find your community in there. And then it becomes like family. And and it was just, I mean, the things that Pride does, you know, from the the morning meeting where everyone's together in the evening to come back together again, um, Pride ILP has been phenomenal for me both times I went. Um, so just knowing that the support is there, that's just so key and was really critical in in, in me getting a lot better.
0: Jenny, will you speak a little bit about your uh, experience um, tapering off with Suboxone? Was that something you started at Pride? Was that something that you were interested in? Or how did you kind of hear about that? And what was that journey like for you?
2: So Suboxone, and I I say this with um, truth, truthful and honestly, uh, Suboxone saved my life. It did. I think that Suboxone being such a newer drug, to help people that there's still not a ton of research showing what long-term effects on suboxone can do. And I had noticed a very large increase in depression and anxiety, a sort of numbness to the world, no desire to go and and do things. And that scared me because that, that made me think I could go back to relapse. And so I started researching a little bit. Um, There had been some studies done where suboxone at such a high dose can cause those types of issues for certain individuals, And I made the decision that I wanted to taper. Um, And I started it with my doctor, but I would struggle with each drop down. My body was still feeling like it needed more. And so in conversations with my doctor, I just said, look, I think I need to go back to pride and let them manage the taper. I'll be in a medically supervised facility you know, if I get sick or if I'm this or that, they can take care of it. And we agreed. And it was, it was a good choice, but I went through a lot of different things coming off of that. My knees started to hurt more. I had pretty severe stomach issues. Um, and so my, my case was a little more special than other people that are on suboxone. Um, but with that being said, I absolutely endorse it. I think that it's one of the safest ways to get off of these heavier things, you know, heroin, fentanyl, um, pain pills, that kind of thing. Um, And going back to pride was kind of a trip. And it was interesting because a lot of people while I was there thought that I was staff because I knew the lay of the land. I knew the ropes. I was jumping into teach groups and and lead them. And um, it felt really good. And it it led me to a calling to be a drug and alcohol counselor, which I still would like to finish. Um, I need to intern and then I'm done. Um, And just developed a real passion for people that are in recovery and that are trying just their damnedest to do their best. Um, and that's really all we can do in a given day is just our best.
1: I love that you put it that way, because I think that's the thing that I love about my job most is every time I go into pride, I am surrounded by 30 to 40 people who are actively trying to get better. Um, we are an unlocked facility. So if you are there, it is because you want to be there and you want to improve your lives. And so it's like a really wonderful environment and it's just a really awesome queer space. Um, So I want to ask you, um, as a member of the community, what was it like being at Pride and being in a queer space like that?
2: You know, in 2017, that was my first real introduction to having a community of of queer people around me. And I loved it. I, 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 it, it felt like I was in a place where it was safe to be completely me. And up until that time, I hadn't had a lot of experience with the trans community, And I ended up having two trans roommates and just, we all just mutually fell in love with each other, just had so much fun. And, you know, further demonstration of being human is just that, human, Um, you know, and pride really, for the most part, lets you express and be exactly who you want to be. They're open to suggestions, ideas. I mean, we did talent shows. We, you know, did haircut days. We, you know, when I was there in 2020 to get off of Suboxone, we were planting a garden. You know, it's just these things that are very life-sustaining and very beautiful, um, you know, people ask me, well, Jenny, what's, what's this cure? Like, how have you stayed sober so long? And to truth be told, it's connection. It's other people, you know, it's them caring and wanting me to succeed and do well that has kept me pushing that much more.
0: And we're so lucky to be here in Minneapolis. A lot of people don't know there's a huge LGBTQ recovery community in Minneapolis. uh, And then obviously Pride is here as well to support this community. And like Luke said, it's amazing just getting to be around uh, members of our family every single day and be visibly queer in the space that we occupy. Um, speaking of family, you talked a little bit about your mom and your uncle being in uh, recovery. Is that something you watched them struggle with when you were growing up?
2: Both of my uncles. So, so my mom is the middle child of three kids. Both of my uncles are sober. Uh, my mom is not, um, that is something that, yes, I struggled with quite a bit watching my, my parents, unfortunately had a very nasty divorce. My dad was very angry He had been diagnosed with cancer, was looking for someone to blame. Um, And so I have very early memories of my mom coming home drunk um, and not knowing, you know, what was going on with her. Um, She was part of a a kind of a prestigious volunteer group in San Diego called Las Patronas. And they do something every year called the Jewel Ball, where they get together and fundraise and, um, you know, have night of dancing. And I remember it was she she went with a date and the date and she just got torrentially drunk and he dropped my mom back off at home. And um it it's it's very strange to to be someone who's watched someone struggle with an addiction to then struggle with an addiction themselves and to have those conversations. You know, my mom has gotten much better about her drinking now. Um, but but she's 75. You know, and so conversations around her health and how she's doing and her balance and those types of things can I mean, be very difficult to have with someone who feels as though you're attacking their independence. But it was a wake up call for me and realizing that's why it was so hard for me to accept what other people were saying is because I felt like it was an attack on my independence. When truthfully, I was doing everything I could to make myself not depend, not, not independent. You know, I was very dependent on others. Um, so it's, it's a very strange excuse me, sort of full circle moment. Um, but absolutely it impacted me as a kid. Um, you know, and, and certainly my uncles, you know, have given me a lot of strength and courage. My uncle Bill, especially the oldest he's, he's been very, very, very supportive. It's been great.
1: You talk about like wanting to get back into the field and you mentioned you've done a couple different recovery talks yourself for other people. Um, what is it about This shared connection of being a member of this community that, I guess, feeds your soul in this way.
2: It's it's the connections. It's it's hearing other people's stories and, uh, you know, realizing you're not alone in this um, because depression and anxiety on their own will make you feel like you're the only one when you add drugs or alcohol into that, it amplifies everything. You know, you think that you're numbing to, to, you know, and that you're quieting it and that you don't have to deal with it again for a while. And that's just not the truth. Once you're sober up, it's still there. Um, I became very passionate, especially in my second stint at pride about helping others because I wanted to give back what I had been given. I wanted to give back those chances to give back those, ears to listen, you know, and to make another person feel safe and comfortable in their own skin. That was really, really important to me. Um, and it still is. And, you know, there's a lot of burnout in the industry that's, you know, it's a very challenging, very dynamic role to have. Um, you know, and so sometimes I worry, I may be too empathetic for it, but, um, I also feel like I have a story that's worth sharing. I have a story that's worth relating to and helping other people. And so if I sit here and I don't share that, what, what good is that, you know, it's best to open up, share all of that and let people see the real you because I'm living proof that recovery works.
1: And I love that you said that because there are like no two stronger words in the like English language than me too. And so when you share your story with us, we find tidbits of ourselves in it. And because of that, we also feel like we're not alone. So thank you so much for being so brave today and and sharing this all with us.
2: Well, I appreciate the invitation. It's been wonderful, you know, and I I care very much about Pride and its community. I love what you guys are doing for the community as well. You know, in any way I can help, I'm there.
1: Tell us a little bit about where you're at today, um, what sober life looks like, and any, I guess tidbits, pieces of advice for people out there who are thinking about going into treatment but are too scared?
2: Sure. Well, sober life is great. Um, you know, you you tell yourself, well, I can't have fun without a drink or without drugs. And it's, it's not true. I mean, I've laughed harder. I've loved harder. I've learned more about myself in the last five years than I ever did spending two years chasing pills and thinking that that was making me interesting and giving me the courage to to talk and to be myself, you know, and if you're considering treatment, I know you're scared. I know you are. I, um, I was, I'm there with you, but you will find that you will hit your stride, that you will feel better, that you will come back more confident and feeling like you can take on the challenges of the world. You know, you don't, you don't have to wake up every day with a 20 foot wall. You've got to climb over. You can lower that wall to about two feet and stomp on it.
0: I think that's a great place to end. Jenny, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, guys. Really, pleasure.
1: Thank you for joining us on this episode of Proud Voices.
0: You can find us where you find all your favorite podcasts.
1: Don't forget to follow and subscribe.
0: We'll see you next time.